Today I want to talk about the Great Commission. And, you know, anytime we talk about the Great Commission, I think the, the passage that we normally all think of right away is Matthew 28. Um, the, right at the end of Matthew 28 is where Jesus commissions his disciples. But did you know that there are actually five additional passages where Jesus commissions? Where he, he gets to, like, here's the task that I have. And, and God, kids, just so you know, when we're talking about commission, it's like, it's, it's a word that you hear a lot in the military. When somebody joins the military, they get commissioned as an officer. They, they uh, uh, now have a job. It's a calling. They, they, they now have a purpose. And it's, it's aligned with whatever the, the military is calling them to do. In a, in a sense, when we become Christians, we become commissioned into the work that God's doing. And he's given us a job. And, and I wanted to walk through uh, each of these six passages real quickly and, and show you how, okay, they all fit together. There's a, there's a common theme, and I'm not going to tell you anything that you probably haven't heard before, but it is kind of neat to see how these different passages complement one another um, and how you, get, you fill out a little bit more of the color and the detail of the Great Commission. Because, for example... Uh, you're familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. Um, but what's the message? What are we supposed to say? It doesn't say there. We've got to go to other passages. And, and what about the church? Is there, is there a role for the church? Is it a part of this? As you, you're going to see, that, like Jesus actually laid out a lot more of the color and the detail of this as we walk through it. So this, this next screen here is, we're going to walk through each of these six, six texts. So if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to open up, first of all, to Matthew 16. Good job, Ellis. Don't give the next slide till I tell you, though, okay? The reveal slide. Okay, Matthew 16. I'm turning there, too, so giving everybody time. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. <clears throat> now, this, is a, this, this story is in all four Gospels, but there's a little detail that's in Matthew that's not in the others that, that we're going to see. But right here, uh, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that, I, that the Son of Man is? So he's asking them, so who do you guys say that I am? And, and then Peter in verse 15 says, uh, or excuse me, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, you're the Messiah, you're the promised Messiah. And then, and then Jesus says uh, down in verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here... Jesus is introducing, this isn't the first time in Matthew, but he's introducing right here this idea, this new thing called the church. He's establishing this new thing that's a change from the way that he operated in the past. And he's, there's a lot of things in here that, that in, ter in terms of you know, talking about on, on this rock while I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he talks about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In other words, he's, he's talking to Peter, but he's also addressing his apostles that there's some significance to this. There's some power to this church thing I'm starting. And you guys are a fundamental part of its foundation. In fact, I've got a passage. I think the next one is, the slide is a passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 2, same 
more color, more ideas here. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, meaning strangers to God. That's what he's talking about there. But you, Christian, are fellow citizens with the saints. So our citizenship was in heaven, not here. You're members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So when Jesus is talking to, to Peter and the other apostles here, he's like, you guys have a very particular role in this household that I'm building. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so he's, he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone. And then right on that cornerstone, he's got some other significant stones, the apostles and the prophets. And then on top of that, it's all of us. It's the rest of the church getting formed together to be the temple of the Lord, the new temple. The new dwelling place of God is the body of Christ. Big, big deal, this, this new idea of the church. Now, and we're going to see in the next passage we look at in a second here, that, I, you know, in, in, in my opinion, you'll see like uh, a lot of uh, uh, the Roman Catholic tradition will point to this text and say, hey, look, here's proof that, that Peter is the first pope and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I don't want to get into all the detail of that, but I disagree with that. I, I don't disagree that Peter was significant and those apostles were significant. Um, but they created a, more of a hierarchy system of the faith. And I think as Christians, especially in the American church, maybe we've rebelled too much away from the church. So we're saying we don't like hierarchy. And remember, one of the things that Martin Luther said is, hey, no, we're all, it's a priesthood of believers. We're all priests. Not just these special guys are priests. We're all priests. But I think in American Christianity, sometimes we've pulled way too far out of the church and now it's independent, just me. I got my Bible and I've got God, my relationship. I don't need this. I don't need relationship. I don't need community. Okay, I'm not an apostle. Nobody in here is an apostle. Nobody in here is a prophet. But we are bricks built on the foundation of those guys where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The church is a big deal because that's the way God designed it. And go back to, the, or go on to the next slide there, Ellis. Um, oh, in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God by the spirit. So this is God building. And then the next slide, please. Um, and, the, and this is really the heading here. So kids, if you're taking notes, here's where you can put in, you can fill in. You got Matthew up there for the passage, and Jesus is the master builder. He promised that I will build my church. So I'm, I'm, I tried to explain the text he's talking there about Peter being the rock, but I think the main thing we need to take away from this part of, this, of the commission is we don't build this thing. And you saw that as well in the Ephesians 2 passage. God's the one who's building it. He's going to build his church. And, and I think that does a couple of things for us. Number one, it builds trust. Like, I, I don't have to worry about that. He's got that. It also kind of takes the pressure off in terms of what our expectations are. Like, what is God expecting of us? To, we don't have to build the church. He does that. We, we have to be faithful to what he's called us to, but he's promised that he will build this thing called the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All right, so number two. John 20. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now John 20, 
21 through 23, and this one has some of the same kind of language talking about to the apostles. Verse uh, 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And let me just pull out and give you the context here. This is after the resurrection, and Jesus is is appearing to his disciples. And if you go up into the context, we know that they were hiding out with the doors locked because they're afraid. Um, The world is trying to find them. Um, And so they're locked up and afraid, and then Jesus appears, and he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. There's, there's a kind of commissioning there where we're being commissioned in the same exact way that Jesus was commissioned. Jesus, the Father sent the Son on a mission. And he's saying, just like the Father sent me, I'm going to send you guys. The same thing. Um, in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and that's one of those the ideas there that I was able to understand is that it's, it's, it's kind of giving a picture. Jesus is, is, is showing them again, like, I give life. Just like God breathed life into Adam and Eve, I give life. And he kind of gave them a foretaste of what the Holy Spirit was going to be like, and which, which comes later. It, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And, and again, this is similar to that other, other passage where there's significance in the church. Now, we, we, I don't think we can read this to say and mean that, that I can give forgiveness to people on behalf of God. God gives forgiveness. I think the idea that he's talking about here is that we're the messengers of, this, of, of, this, of, of the forgiveness that God brings. And, and so, in, 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 as I understood the, the, the way the commentators talk about the Greek there, is that it, it's, it's this idea of like what happens already happened. You know, in other, in other words, I, I become, uh, I, 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 when I asked Jesus to forgive me, I was forgiven, but I was actually also already forgiven past tense. It had already happened. Um, but again, there's the significance of the body of Christ. We are the messengers. And you think about this idea, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So Jesus came, he left where he was comfortable to go where he was uncomfortable, to be a living sacrifice and then to be an ultimate sacrifice, but also to be a herald and to declare the message. This is the message. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the way that mankind can have peace with God. And he's saying, that's what you're going to do as well. And, and if you think about it as well, in, in terms of messaging and as, as heralding, the people that are in this room, you know, which is the apostles and the other disciples, all the other followers that were with Jesus that time, these people could go out onto the street with authority and say, here's what I saw and here's what I heard from Jesus. It's the same idea for us. So the next slide should have the... Jesus gives us the model. So, so how, how does this Great Commission work? Well, it works the way Jesus did it. The Father sent him, so he is sending us to live our lives you know, as a sacrifice for others, for God's kingdom, and so forth. And then Mark 16. Why don't you go back, back one for the kids that didn't see it. John 20. So it's John, and then the model. 
You guys got it? <laughs> okay, next one. Mark 16. Mark 16, 15 through 16. Now the first three, first three of these, all three of them come with some baggage of like, man, this is kind of hard to explain kind of stuff. This one also has a, man, this is kind of hard to explain kind of, kind of thing. Because if you've got a Bible like mine, it's got this gigantic bracket. You go to Mark 16, uh, 16 and you go down to verse 15. But after verse 8, there's this big bracket that's like, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. And it's like, what in the world is that? And um, my Bible has a little note at the end, and it, and it explains that, okay, so the reason is, is that this is a portion, the ending of Mark does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. In other words, as, they, as time went on and they discovered some older manuscripts, they, said, they found, whoa, these older manuscripts don't have this part of Mark in it, so what happened there? Um, and scholars wrestle with, okay, should this be in the Bible? Should, was it added after the fact? What's the story here? And there's lots of different theories and there's lots of different conclusions. One of the things that I'll, I'll say with you guys is that I super appreciate that we have that. It's not, I mean, these notes are here. Um, I consider Christianity to be uh, an open source religion in that, in that you can go right to the source code. That nothing is hidden. There's no, there's no secret information that only the higher ups get to know and see. It's all there. And, and especially as technology advances, more and more data is now available to more and more people. Uh, it used to be, you know, 50, 60 years ago, if you wanted to look at an ancient manuscript, you went to Jordan or you went to wherever they keep some of those manuscripts. Now, more and more of those things are being digitized. So if you wanted to do all that kind of research, you can. So open source, here it is. Okay, so next question should be like, oh, should we preach from it? Is it, is, is it God's scripture? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> and I don't know that I have a full and complete answer, but here's the way that I'm going to stand up here and be confident in it, is that in my opinion, everything in this section is not inconsistent with what's said in other places. So it's not like I'm, you know, basing a hold. It's like, hey, by the way, guys, it's like, yeah, we, we believe in polygamy now, or, um, you know, we uh, think that, you know, we're all whatever crazy thing and it's just this one little place you know it's like no I, I'm not gonna then I'm gonna question it but basically what he says here is is said in other places um, so for that reason did Mark write it did it get added later I I don't know the answer to that but I but I feel like I can stand on the on these two verses and with confidence say this is part of what God commissioned us to so we could build these truths in other t parts of scripture so that done verse six uh where are we? 15, 16. He said, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And this gets to the next slide, please. This gets to the idea of the magnitude of the mission. And there's two elements of the magnitude. One is the whole creation. This is for everybody. There's no, there's no limit. You know, it's not, it's not limited just to the people on your block. I mean, this is the whole creation. And, and, and I didn't research it, but I think you could even argue that when he says creation, it doesn't just mean people, but the gospel is meant to impact all of, all of the world. It is complete and total what God is doing. 
And then it also gives the magnitude in terms of the stakes. It's like this is, this is a big deal in that whoever believes and baptized is going to be saved and whoever doesn't is going to be condemned. Um, the magnitude is significant. All right, next one. Uh, Matthew 28. So here's the, ma- the well-known one. Matthew 28. And you could go ahead and go to the next slide there, Ellis, to show us. And this really gets to the method. So, so how do you do this? What does this look like, just basically? So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. And so it's two basic things. You're going to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. So the baptizing is that what that that implies that it's I've told them about the gospel. They've accepted it. Okay, baptism. That's the first step when we come into the faith. And then after that, it's, let's, let's, let's teach them. What did Jesus teach? And let's, let's, let's not only teach it to know it, but teach it to obey it, right? So that we can obey and follow the direction. That's discipleship, the whole encompassing idea of discipleship, evangelism and teaching and obeying. And then number five, we've got Luke 24. So you guys got number five you wrote in Luke? Luke, number five. Hmm? Did you miss four? Go back to four. The method. The method. Did you get it? And Matthew. Or you just put you can just write Matt. Okay, so Luke 24, all the way to the end of Luke, right at the start of John. And this is where we get some of the detail of what the message is. So what are we supposed to declare? Uh, verse 44, it says, of 24, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Um, and that, that is, he's referring back to, to, to what happened earlier in the text where, I think it's in verse 27, yeah, it says, uh, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. And so in other words, he's like, guys, I'm now opening your mind to see all these ideas in the Old Testament, everything that's already been written um, to understand how it fits into me as God and the message. He said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So that's a miraculous thing that God did there. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so, next slide. This, this is the message. So you can write message there in, in box five. Luke and message. So the message is, is right here. There's the little summary, little package of what the gospel is, what we're supposed to declare. Um, and, and it starts with bad news. <laughs> it, it starts with the fact that we have alienated ourselves from God. 
and, and we have broken the, the peace. And he initiates so that we can have peace, but we've got to start by acknowledging that. We have to start with a repentance. It's like, God, forgive me for what I've done. That, that was wrong. Um, this week I had an interesting interaction with a lady at a, um, I was at a Mission Barbecue having lunch with somebody. And you know how it is in a loud restaurant and you're having a conversation with somebody. It's kind of hard to, you don't realize how unprivate your conversation is. And she, she was sitting next to us and she just felt like she had to interject into what I was saying. And um, I, was, I was telling this guy about um, how, you know, I've, I've been reading a book by Rosaria Butterfield. Several of us have been reading it called um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she was talking, one of the things that she said that really impacted me is she said, our attitude as Christians, um, better than saying things like uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. She said, better than that is to say, love the sinner, hate my own sin. So rather than being judgmental and pointing at other people, it's like we should show an example of like humility towards our own failings, right? And, and then you're, you're not only not being judgmental of people, but you're also showing them what it looks like to be humble before God and repent before God of what you've done. Anyway, so I was sharing that, and she just turned, and she was really angry with me and just, and just said, why do you have to focus on what's wrong? And, and, and I could just, I mean, it was like what she said was like, took me out of the, out of the, I, I didn't feel like what I was saying was so, you know, controversial. And it was obviously something where there was a lot of things that I didn't know that she's, you know, she's just assuming a lot of things. And, and, um, and she's, and I was like, and I, I said, uh, so you don't think there's things that are wrong in the world? Um, and, and she said, um, you know, I was like trying to help me understand what you're saying. And, and she said, I think that we do, would do much better if we just let the past be a past and then just, just go forward. And, and I said, well, you know, that's, that's great. But what if, what if you've been wronged by somebody? Like, what if somebody's wronged you? And, and they, if they were to tell you, hey, just let the past be the past and let's move on. You know, that doesn't work. And, or what if, and I, I said, what if I've, you know, wronged my, my, my child or, or, or been, you know, angry towards my child? It's, can I just say to him, uh, you know, that, hey, that the past be the past, and I, I, I can just move on. That doesn't, you know. I was, she was beginning to think, and and realizing, but but then as I was just talking to her a little bit further, you know, she was with her husband, who was recovering from a stroke. I told her a little bit about um, about your experience, and he's like several years ahead of you, Linda. Um, but there's obviously this whole world in their lives that that was like there, and and. Um, um, but just having the conversation with her and interacting with her, and I was just, you know, trying to do my best to just say that, you know, I really care about what you, your perspective is. I don't know fully what your perspective is, but you can't just say that <laughs> we're just going to ignore the things of the past um, because real things happen that are bad. Um, and yeah, you know, so we didn't get into all that, but she, as we talked, she's like, okay, I, I can, I can see, you know, like, like. If I'm selfish, I should acknowledge that I'm selfish. You can't just like ignore it. And um, so, anyway, but just having that interaction with her was 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 really an interesting time. But but it was in about five minutes, it went from her being pretty angry <laughs> at what we, we were talking about to like having a conversation. Then I talked to her, her husband a little bit, and he told us a little bit about his story. And um, and you know, Lord willing. You know, I also gave her the gospel, and Lord willing, there was a little bit of a, sh- little bit, maybe a step, a step towards truth. And who knows what her past is, what her experience is, but 
the reality is, is the message has to be the message. I mean, it, it, we can't get around it. Um, we, we, people have to acknowledge that, yeah, I, I have sinned against a holy God. Um, I, it, 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 it's, it's incredibly devastatingly bad news that is quickly followed by, but God rescues. He pays the price completely. You know, there, there's, you owe him nothing. He just wants you to receive his love. He wants a relationship with you, you know? So, but they got to start with, yes, I got to turn. I have to turn towards God. So that's the message. And then finally, number six, another one that we're very familiar with is Acts 1.8. You guys got Acts? Acts 1.8. And this is Jesus just moments before he uh, rises into the sky. And this is the means. It's the next slide, the means. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there's this massive job. The magnitude is gigantic, but he gives us the spirit. There is power that's designed for this mission to pull it off. Um, so I hope that if you can go to that, the final slide there, I hope that you can see it's like this it's kind of cool when you look at it from all six um, uh, perspectives and facets of, of, this, of this commission. And one thing, we won't go through it all, but one thing that's fascinating is that, you know, in Acts 2, at the beginning of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. Right after the Holy Spirit arrives, it draws a bunch of people, and then Peter jumps up on a box and preaches a sermon. And then by the end of Acts 2, in verse 41, it says, And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What's fascinating about this is that you can find all six of these elements in reverse order. It starts with six, the means. The Holy Spirit shows up with power. Boom, this amazing thing. They're speaking in tongue, like different languages. He gives a message, and it's a message of repentance. You need to repent. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, then then he, they baptize. Um, then he, he talks about the magnitude and that, that like, um, let's see, where is it? Um, you know, for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And then he talks about, it says he used other words, words and bore witness and he exhorted them. So it's getting to that, all of that idea and the model as well, because he's teaching them. And then finally, Jesus is the master builder, because it says right there, God added 3,000. So uh, to me, it's, it's really cool to see that, that pattern just fall right back into uh, Acts 2 as well. And, and that fundamentally gets to what we're, we're about. You know, fundamentally, we are about, as a church, making disciples um, and, and multiplying the mission. To, just as the Father sent the Son, so He's sending us. And, and Lord willing, we see groups like this forming in cells all over our area and then even beyond, um, where, where we're coming together because Jesus has made peace with us and God. We come together because of the gospel uh, into community so that the community can build one another up and encourage one another and equip one another. All the life of the, that we do together and be invitational to have other people be a part of that. And then, and then Lord willing, these groups will, with time, 
divide like cells uh, with new leaders and new homes and new people and, and, and Lord willing, as local as possible so that we're seeing you know, God use us not because of anything special about us but because of who God is to, to, to reach our neighbors and, and to, to love on the people that he's brought into our lives. Um, and, and ultimately trusting that, that he's the one. I mean, I love the bookends of he's the builder, I'm not the builder, and he's the one that provides the power, the means for it as well. So let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, as we close out our, our worship time, um, we, when we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper to commemorate and remember um, Lord, what you have done for us, Lord, the, the, Lord when we take these elements um, soon, Lord, I, I pray that you would remind us again of how you've commissioned us, commissioned us into your work and what you're doing in this world. And um, Lord, I pray that you would build our trust. Lord, I pray that you're, you would build your church here. Um, Lord, I pray that you would um, build in us um, boldness, um, and opportunities, Lord, to, that, that you will open with our neighbors, with our coworkers, uh, with our family members, our friends, whoever, the, Lord, that you've brought into our lives. Lord, let us be your light. Um, let them see in us uh, transform people. Um, Lord, and I pray that you'd open their hearts to hear the message, Lord, that your spirit would work in their lives um, and that you would build your church and multiply your kingdom into our community. And uh, Lord, I thank you again for um, this home, uh, for these people, for your presence and your work. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. <clears throat>